say thank you to our worship team. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for leading us in worship. They give so much of their time and their talent, and uh, uh, we're just very blessed. And uh, they lead us in worship. Uh, they're musicians and vocalists, uh, great talent and great skill. Uh, but most importantly, they have the right heart. They have a heart for the Lord, and they worship from the heart. And so we're just very grateful for them. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to greet you this morning in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, isn't it? Yes, all the decorations and singing the songs, and you can sort of feel it in the air. We've got some wonderful uh, decorations and displays outside, right outside of this, uh, this auditorium. And thanks to all of our volunteers, particularly, who've been working so hard for the last several weeks, maybe even months, uh, just to kind of create that atmosphere. And uh, so it's a wonderful time of the year, isn't it? So uh, let's, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, um, that we can celebrate the birth of your Son, Jesus Christ. And his birth is so awesome. It's such, a, it's such a marvelous thing that it takes us a whole month and even more to celebrate it and, and, to, and to look forward to the coming of the, the day of the birth of your Son, Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we just thank you for that. We thank you for what it all represents. And I pray, Father, in the midst of, of whatever's going on in our lives, that we can still celebrate the good news of your Son, Jesus Christ. So, Heavenly Father, be with us this day. We ask that you would open our hearts and our spirits uh, to what you have for us this morning. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me ask you a question to start out with. How many of you, uh, how many of you play the game of chess? Play the game of chess. Yeah, okay, a few of you. How many of you ever played the game of chess and didn't know what you were doing? Yeah, that's me. I'm in that category. You know, I don't play chess much anymore. I used to play when I was younger, but I get beat in chess because I always play people who are smarter than me. Smarter than me. Now, I'm sure you're familiar with the game. You have pieces like, uh, like the, the rooks and the knights and the bishops, and the whole goal of the game is to protect your own king from being captured, as well as at the same time try to capture your opponent's king. And you want to get your opponent's king into check or eventually into checkmate so that they surrender and you defeat them. And they say that the best players in the world in chess think five moves in advance. That's why, that's why I can't play that game. I can barely think one move in advance. I'm thinking about the last move I just made, not five moves in advance. But you're always plotting and you're planning and you're figuring out how you're going to win in this game of chess. But have you ever thought about how it's possible to play chess against God in your life? You make moves, and he makes counter moves. We plot, and we plan, and we try to find a way to achieve our goals, and get our needs met, and get our desires met. And so we, and so we control, and manipulate, and we move, and we try to get what we want. And sometimes what we find is that we are actually playing life against God. Instead of relying on Him, instead of submitting to Him and following Him, instead of worshiping Him, we are playing against Him. Well, here's a news flash. When you play chess against God, you never win. You never win. He always wins. Why? Because He's God, right? He will always outplay us 
in the game of chess and in the game of life. And that brings us to our story today of King Herod. King Herod. Now he's someone that we don't normally focus on at this time. If I keep going out, we had some problems with our microphone. If I keep going out, I'll, I'll get my mic for Major Debbie. But we normally don't focus on King Herod at Christmas time. But he's a part of the Christmas story, if you read the scriptures. And we've been looking at Christmas through the eyes of different characters in the Christmas story. And so this morning we want to take a look at King Herod. And let me just give you a little bit of background. Here's some pictures. Major Jim and I were just in Israel. King Herod, this is Herod the Great. There were a number of Herods, but the first Herod was King Herod the Great. Uh, he had some sons that later on uh, that beheaded John the Baptist, that was at the trial of Jesus, but this was their father. And he was a great builder. You have Bob the Builder, we have Herod the Builder. He built many places that some of them are still standing. You see up here on the upper left, that's, that's Caesarea, that's a seaport that Herod built, that's the amphitheater. And I just saw a concert, a Hillsong did a concert in Caesarea, right in that amphitheater. Um, and then you can see the aqueduct. You've got these great big Roman aqueducts to bring fresh water in. And then of course he built the temple, the second temple in Jerusalem, and that's the wall, that's the wailing wall. He also built the, the, uh, the fortress of Masada in the desert. But he built these huge fortresses and palaces, and uh, he was a great builder. And many of those places are standing today, and we were fortunate to be able to visit some of those places. But let's look at the scriptures. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 2. And I'm sure this is a very familiar portion of scripture, but we're going to dig down deeper a little bit. Matthew chapter 2, starting with verse 1. And this is what it says. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of who? King Herod. During the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. Let me give you a little bit of background. Herod, King Herod the Great, was a political genius, and he knew how to smooze his way into power, how to influence the Romans. And the Romans placed him in charge of the Jewish people in Israel, and so they gave him a title. They gave him a title called, and they called him the King of the Jews, even though he wasn't Jewish. He wasn't Jewish. He wasn't Jewish by birth. He wasn't Jewish by religion. But because he was placed in charge of the Jewish people in Israel, they gave him the title, King of the Jews. And even and now, in that particular time, it was a time of relative peace in the region of Israel. And as you know, this is a hard part of the world to keep peace. It's constantly under controversy. Even today, in Israel, in the Holy Land, people are always wanting that land, what we call the Holy Land. Well, Herod kept it under control. He had a way of keeping things going with the Israelites, and he had a way of appeasing the Romans, and he knew just how to keep the peace. However, whenever Herod was threatened, if his position was ever threatened, if his kingdom was ever threatened, he was a violent and ruthless man. The historians write about it. There are many stories of King Herod being suspicious and being vengeful. And it's well documented that if there was any type of uprising, 
whether from enemies, from within, or from without, even from within his family. He did away with them pretty quickly. So it's well documented that he murdered his own wife. He actually had ten wives, and he had a favorite wife. I suppose you have to have a favorite wife if you have ten. <laughs> but he murdered her. Why couldn't he murder the other nine? No, but he murdered his favorite wife. He murdered three of his own sons because they were rebelling against him. He murdered his mother-in-law, his brothers-in-law, his uncle. Whoever posed a threat to Herod, he would swiftly get rid of them. And there's a story at the end of his life when he was close to death, he, he ordered his soldiers, he told them to round up some of the, the prominent Jews in Jerusalem and put them in prison, but don't kill them yet. And he says, wait until the day that I die and then kill them all. And his reasoning was, no one's going to mourn for me when I die in Jerusalem, so I want there to be mourning of some kind on the day that I die, so kill all of them when I die. Nice guy, huh? That's the kind of guy Herod was, a violent, ruthless, selfish man. And he's an opponent in chess with God. Herod's crafty, he's evil, he's powerful, he's uh, manipulative, he's murderous, he's strong-willed. And if you ever want to find a Grinch in the Christmas story, it's Herod. He fits the description in every way. You're a mean one, Mr. Herod. (laughs) And so what we see unfolding in Matthew chapter 2 is a series of moves and counter moves. Herod makes a move, and God counters that move. And one thing that Herod had right was that there could only be one king in Israel. And was it going to be him, or was it going to be the baby Jesus? So what was Herod's first move? What was Herod's first move in this? Well, we actually just talked about it. It was his, it was his grab for power. He was power hungry. And Herod, rising to this throne, became the king of the Jews. And you can see up here, became the king of the Jews. And notice that I didn't capitalize the word king. We won't give him that credit. But Herod becomes king. And what was his title? Tell me what his title was. Say it louder. Say it one more time. What was Herod's title? Remember that. Remember that. So what is God's first counter move? We just read it in verses 1 to 3. What happened? God sends a delegation of magi to Jerusalem. Now the magi were a group of political and spiritual influencers in the eastern kingdoms of of Babylon and Persia. They had been clued into the fact that the Messiah was to be born in Israel. And so God sends a star And the Magi come, and they make this long trip, about a thousand miles, and there's a huge, normally we just picture three guys on a camel, right? But it doesn't say there were just three Magi. They had had a whole entourage of people, a huge caravan of soldiers and animals and caretakers, animal caretakers, a whole entourage, and perhaps 
Many magi, more than three, perhaps a dozen, perhaps 20, perhaps more, and all of their following. And what were they looking for? They were looking for a baby. Who are you looking for? And who were they looking for? The king of the Jews. Doesn't that sound familiar? The king of the Jews. So can you imagine that? King Herod, the king of the Jews, and these magi coming and asking, where is the king of the Jews? Dun, dun, dun. Drama. Showdown right in Herod's backyard. Here comes the magi. This was a brilliant move on the part of God. God was bringing a direct challenge to King Herod. Can you imagine at the city gates this huge entourage of horses and camels and all of these people and all of these really wealthy and powerful magi? And Herod finds out who they're asking about, the king of the Jews. And he goes, no, no, this, this can't be. You can't be looking for another king. Well, verse 3 describes Herod. It says that when King Herod heard about it, he was disturbed. He was disturbed. Other translations might say that he was, he was troubled. Or even stronger words, he, he, was, he was panicked. He was almost paranoid. What in the world are these guys doing here? They're, they're looking for another king. But I'm the king of the Jews. Can you imagine what Herod was going through? This was a threat to Herod. This was a real threat to Herod and to his kingdom. You know, sometimes when God shows up in our lives, our perception is that it's a threat. Depending on where you are and how you look at God, he may be a threat to your title. He may be a threat to your position. He may be a threat to your your status. He may be a threat to your little self-empire that you've built. And when you think about it, that's what everyone is doing. We're all building our own little empires, aren't we? And we sit on our own little thrones inside of our hearts, ruling and and managing our lives. And we're the ones in control. And, And along comes God, who has the title of king, And if he comes into your life, that means you have to get off that throne. That means someone else is going to rule in your life. That means someone else is going to take your place. And sometimes, sometimes we pride ourselves in being the one in control. It's my life, and I'm going to do what I want to do. And we hold on to it, sometimes violently and, and ruthlessly, and fearlessly, because if we admit that God is my king, then my whole little kingdom is going to fall apart. And that's what Herod perceived Jesus as. Herod knew it, and God brought this direct message to him, that there is another king that's been born. But you see, on another level, It was a brilliant move by God to go to Jerusalem first because it wasn't just a threat, but it was a spiritual opportunity. Those of you in your business or organization, if you do uh, what we call a SWOT analysis, S-W-O-T, you analyze your strengths, your weaknesses, 
your opportunities, and your threats. And sometimes it's how you look at the threats, whether it's other markets or the economy or whatever it may be. But if you look at it with the right perspective, your threats can sometimes be turned around into opportunities. And so in this case, uh, God goes to Jerusalem because it was a spiritual opportunity. It wasn't just a threat for Herod, but it was supposed to be an opportunity, and God does that. He gives us many opportunities, and sometimes we, we see them as threats, but really they're opportunities. You see, many missed, many missed the announcement from the angels to the shepherds, because the angels only spoke to the shepherds, announcing the birth of Jesus Christ. But no one in Jerusalem missed this announcement. They couldn't help but talk about this huge entourage from the east of magi and camels and horses and all kinds of people coming into their town, into their community. So no one missed this announcement. And it got Herod's attention immediately and all the people with him. And it says that in verse 3, everyone was disturbed. Not just Herod, but it says everyone. Everyone in Jerusalem was aware that a king had been born. You see, God brought this opportunity right to Herod's doorstep. This message of a Messiah who had been born to the people. And it was really a gracious thing for God to do, to make him aware, to get his attention, to pursue him in a sense, to give him an an opportunity to decide what to do with this Messiah. It was all part of God's plan. And God didn't keep it a secret. It was very well known. You see, God, God has a way of pursuing us in life, doesn't he? I've heard some of your stories. I've heard some of your testimonies. Some of you spent years away from God, whether you grew, grew up with him and, and, and wandered away, or whether you never knew him or you just kind of lived on your own, and, that, and then at some point, God got your attention and, and you gave your life to him. And as you look back into your past, you may say, you know, there, there was a time that I see now that God was working on me. He sent someone my way. He sent maybe a messenger. He had an event happen where I knew it had to be God. He was knocking on the door of my life repeatedly, and I was ignoring him all those times until I finally bowed down and surrendered to him. I finally accepted Jesus as my king into my life. And some of you can relate to that type of story. You see, God loves us. God is the hound of heaven who chases us down, who who pursues us graciously and lovingly and relentlessly and sometimes having to do radical things to get our attention so that we would come and turn our lives over to him. You see, God is always at work around us. He's always providing opportunities for us, working through other people, working through circumstances to bring us to himself. He was doing it for King Herod that day, and he's still doing it now for each and every one of us. Opportunities that God gives us. So what happens here in the next couple of moves? 
in this game of chess. Let's look at verses 3 to 6. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. And so when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. That's actually a verse quoted from the Old Testament, the prophet Micah, Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And so the answer is very clear. The Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem. Those of you that don't know, Bethlehem is only about five or six miles away from Jerusalem. So it's not very far away. You could probably walk there in a, in a couple of hours. But Herod asked the teachers, those who knew the scriptures, and now he's been given the information. And in fact, we're going to credit this as God's counter move. Because God revealed this through his word, and God had planned this move out centuries before. This verse taken from Micah 5.2. So you see, Herod's move was to consult his teachers, the chief priests, and God's counter move was to give them the information. And at this point, Herod had a choice to make. You see, God was thinking more than five moves in advance. He had Micah write this 800 years before. Wow. I would like to think that if I were King Herod, despite my past, this would be a moment in time that I would realize the significance of what was going on. And I would humble myself. This Messiah had been talked about for hundreds of years, prophesied about seven or eight hundred years ago. If Herod had known anything about the scriptures, he would have known about this Messiah coming. It was pretty common knowledge in Israel in those days that there was this, this expectation, this longing, this, uh, this waiting for a Messiah to be born. And there are so many scriptures that talk about it. And now Herod finds out for himself from a very credible source that this Messiah was born under his watch, in his jurisdiction, only five miles away in Bethlehem. If you were Herod, what would you do? I'm sure Herod must have heard of other writings in the scriptures about the Messiah like we see here this morning, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and, six and 7. And these verses are quoted many times, particularly during the holiday season. And I'm sure Herod was familiar with this, that this Messiah would be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And this Messiah was going, this Messiah was going to be a Wonderful Counselor. And so Herod, if you need advice... If you need direction, go to him. He's the wonderful counselor. Herod, if you want real power and you want to see real might, go to him. Herod, if you want to have lasting peace in your life and in your empire, go to him. He's the prince of peace. This Messiah is the greatest answer to our prayers ever. Can you say amen to that? Amen. You see it? It could, have been the greatest, it could have been the greatest moment in Herod's life to go to this Messiah, to seek him, 
to humble himself before him, to worship him. He had that opportunity. He could have sought forgiveness from God. He could have yielded his life to God. He could have used his position as the king to protect and to preserve this Messiah, to to prepare the way for him, to announce it throughout all of Israel. He could have been used by God in such a powerful way. God gave him that opportunity. But the problem for King Herod was that it, that it was too much. Because Isaiah 9 continues on. And you can see it up in the verse here. Of the increase or of the greatness of his government, and he's talking about the Messiah, and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne, which is where Herod was, the kingship in Jerusalem, and over his kingdom and establishing it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And from where Herod sat, he had worked way too hard. He had invested way too much. He had controlled way too much. He had built this whole thing, and now to let some baby come in and take over his kingdom, he was not going to let it happen. He had too much to lose. You know when people come to God and they make that decision to give their life to him, when they make that decision to accept who he is in their life as their Lord and as their Savior, people have a lot to lose. We do have a lot to lose. I remember when I was younger, I was actually I was in college, And I was wrestling with this whole thought. I had accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I was young, but I certainly wasn't living for him. You see, I had built my own little empire. You know what I'm talking about? I had built my image. I had built my status. I had put the people around me that I wanted around me. I knew how to get what I wanted, how to please the people that I needed to please, and I had a way of working it. You know what I mean. You know what I mean. But soon, every little kingdom begins to show cracks. Every little kingdom begins to show cracks. And I don't want to pick on anybody, but we've seen the news in the last couple of weeks people's personal kingdoms or empires that they've created. You see them crumbling. Those people in Hollywood, those news anchors, the politicians, not just the rich and famous, but the poor and the normal people like me. Soon, every little kingdom that we create begins to show cracks. You can't keep it up for too long. What happens when you fail? What happens when you get caught? What happens when someone disappoints you? What, what happens when you, guess, when you get too tired of something? It just doesn't satisfy you anymore, and you need another thing and another thing. And there are a lot of empires going around in this world, and perhaps even in this room this morning, where we are just trying to feed the self over and over again. 
It's all about me and my empire. I'm sitting on this throne. You know, when we're confronted with the King of Kings, we are faced with a choice to either surrender to the King of Kings and to come and bow down and kneel and worship him and acknowledge him for who he is, or other choice is to continue to make counter moves, hoping that we can eventually put God in checkmate. But remember, God never loses. He never loses in the game of chess, in the game of life. And Jesus wants to be the king of your empire. And sometimes all we can see is that this is a threat. And you've all been there. And that's all Herod could see in his life. You see, a lot of us are scared. A lot of us are insecure and threatened to fully surrender our lives to Jesus because we're not sure what, we would, what he would make us do and we're not sure what, what we would have to lose. I'm going to ask Matt and the worship team to start making their way to the stage. But we're not sure what we would lose Herod thought, I can't afford to lose my kingdom if I bow down to this king. I've worked so hard to build it up. But it was Jesus, 30 or so years later, who said in Mark chapter 8, 36, what good would it be if someone were to gain the whole world and yet forfeit and lose their soul? In other words, you can get everything you want in this world. You can get all the stuff this world affords. You can still continue to build your own little empire. But what good would it be if you lose your soul in the process? What's really better? What's really the best decision to make? As we look at Herod, he was on the brink of losing his soul permanently. He'd been making this trade his whole life. And as we come to a close this morning, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and to bow your heads. And I'm not sure where you are in your life right now. Perhaps you're one of the ones resisting King Jesus and his kingship. Or maybe you're one perceiving him as a threat, afraid that you might lose control of your empire? Or maybe you're one who just says, I'm, I'm kneeling, but I'm still struggling. I need to keep Jesus as my, my king every moment. Or perhaps you, you love him dearly and you're, you're fully surrendered. I don't know where you're at, but you do. And I would just ask you this morning, just to be honest, honest with yourself first and foremost, and then honest with God, to see where do I stand? Here's an opportunity that God has presented. It's his move. Now the ball is in our court, so to speak, and it's our move. And what I don't want you to forget don't forget the message of grace. 
for those who will admit. Don't forget the message of grace for those who will confess. Don't forget the message of grace for those who repent. And don't forget the message of grace for those who will surrender. You see, in the game of chess, when you know that there's no hope and you're surrounded by your opponent's pieces and you know you're going to lose, when that checkmate is imminent, you lay your king down on the board. And it's a sign to your opponent that you surrender, that you give up, that you admit defeat. But that's not how it works with the Lord. You see, when you surrender to the Lord, when you surrender to the king, it's not an admission of defeat, but it's a sign of victory. Because God will take your broken heart and your contrite spirit, and he will transform that and bless it. Because he is a God of love, he's a God of compassion, he's a God of grace, he's a God of mercy. So this morning, as the worship team sings, if you need to surrender to the Lord this morning, in whatever area of your life, it is my hope and it is my prayer that you do that. And as they sing, you pray. Allow God's Holy Spirit to minister to your heart, to speak to you. And make sure you're not holding on to your own little empire but that you're allowing him access. You're saying, Jesus, you can sit on the throne of my life. I trust you. I believe in you. I've got nothing to lose. The place of prayer is available if you want to come or if you just want to pray in your seat. But allow God, the Holy Spirit, to minister to you this morning. I'd like to pray for you this morning. There's a need or concern in your heart. Just slip up your hand and slip it down. I'll be happy to pray for you this morning. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you, Lord. We can bring our needs to the Lord at any time. Our Heavenly Father, thank you this morning. We thank you because you are a God who hears our prayers. You are a God who knows our hearts. You know our lives. You know what's going on in every intimate detail in our lives. And you care about us you're compassionate. And Lord, I thank you for that. Lord, I thank you for your word today. I thank you that you came in the form of this tiny baby thousands of years ago. But what it represents is that you came for us to save us from our sin so that we can be reconciled with God. And so, Father, I pray. I pray, Lord, that there would be much surrender happening today in our lives, that we would come to that understanding in our minds and in our hearts, that that is the best move for us to make, is to surrender ourselves to you and allow you to work your miracle, your wonder-working power in our lives to transform us, to become the people that you want us to be. So, Heavenly Father, for all the hands that have been raised, for all of the the needs and the concerns and the burdens that we bear each day, particularly today, we lift them up to you, Father. We thank you, Lord, that you hear our prayers. I pray, Father, for, for healing. I pray for understanding. I pray for wisdom. I pray for courage. 
whatever the needs may be in our lives and in our midst, I pray, Father, that you would grant that to us and help us to trust in you and to rely on you and allow you to work through us. I pray, Father, that you send your spirit, your spirit of, of reconciliation. If there are broken, if there's brokenness, if there are broken relationships, I pray, Father, that you would soften hearts, that there be reconciliation. And particularly, Lord, at this time of the year, which I know can be, can be a, a wonderful time of the year for many people, but can be also a, 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 a difficult time as well for others. So, Lord, I just pray that you, the Messiah, the wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, will be experienced in our hearts, in our lives this day. Thank you, Jesus. We love you and we worship you. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you.